You know, one of the things that's unfair in the song Ain't No Grave is I've been listening to that song for three months, and we just now broke it out on Easter Sunday, so I've been singing it in my office at the blowing my speakers out for a long time. So, so for some of you, I know it's the first time, but there is this overwhelming, overwhelming understanding in my spirit today as I look around this room and see people raising their hands who maybe six months to a year ago didn't know this Savior. Raising their hands, getting it, understanding it. Luke chapter 24, 1 through 12, we're going to read from there. It's it's a lot of places you can go. All four Gospels give some account, but we're going to read out it. Luke 24. Here we go. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven And to all the others, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened two times here they wondered been wondering been wondering what's happening been wondering you may have come here today like the disciples when they heard from the women their words seem like nonsense (laughs) it's possible what people stand or how people worship or how people express themselves may seem like nonsense you may be like one of our children that were in the service here a few weeks ago. Uh, we're doing a red letter series, and she ended up drawing a picture of me preaching up here, saying that God loves you, this and that. I'll just show the we've got that up there. Then she writes it and scribbles it out. But in this one little bubble over here, it says blah blah blah. <laughs> Let me tell you today that does not discourage me. So you're going to hear from me today, whether you like it or not. And it may sound like blah, 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 but that's okay. See, we can celebrate Easter and make it a lot of things and still have our world unrocked. By the reality of what happened on that first Easter. See, our goal here today is not that you will leave saying, wow, they came up with a new 
cooler, hip way to tell the Easter story, even though we may. Okay. Let me tell you this. What Jesus did on the cross should cause us enough wonder, awe, and reverence, and then you add in the whole raising from the dead thing. Jesus doesn't need our help. Can I say it again? Jesus doesn't need big screens. He doesn't need cool songs. He doesn't need any of that. For you to step into what he has already done. We hope today, though, you walk away from here with just a little bit, if you, if you haven't already. Now, some of you have, no doubt. But maybe you haven't. Maybe this is all you're trying to figure all this out. I hope today what we try to do in here, and this is prayerful. We've prayed over this room. Every seat's been touched and prayed over. This campus has been walked and prayed over. We have asked God to do his work in this place and only the work that he can do. But we live in a modern time, and we use modern things. To express the gospel. I hope you walk away today in awe of what Christ did on the cross. And you possess the resurrection power that can live in you. However, if you walk away today only hearing 13 words. 13. Back in the fall, I heard this from Eugene Peterson's son. Those of you who know Eugene Peterson his, wrote the message, the paraphrase of the Bible. It's much easier. It's what I do most of my devotional time out of. Some of you do, may or may not. But his son at his memorial service said his dad had preached one sermon for 50 years. The same sermon. said he tricked all these people. For 50 years, he had preached the same sermon. That God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. One sermon. I hope the rest of my life that is the one sermon I preach. God loves you. He is on your side. Please hear that today. But he is coming after you. And he is relentless. That was 14. I put an is in there. Excuse me. He's relentless. You know, the last week we've heard a lot about, if you've watched sports, if you're into sports, especially if you're into golf, you've heard the word redemption a lot this last week or so, especially when it comes to Tiger Woods, you know, the, redeem, the redemptive story. And I think what makes that story, and you can t- do with that what you wish and realize it's not the same as what Christ did, but just we like that term. And we love to see people come back from what we thought was dead and come back to life, especially when they're humbled. Especially then. I think that's the reason why we love watching these TV shows, right? The, the HGTV, Fixer Upper, and, you know, all these, right? Property Brothers, Hometown. They were, you know what? <clears throat> They gentrify neighborhoods, you know, gentrify. I was gentrifying before gentrifying was cool, just so you know. Just so you know. But I believe there's a reason why we are all pulled to these HGTV. I think there is something that is naturally put within us from a redemptive God that says, I desire to see something repurposed. I desire to see something reclaimed. I desire to see something renovated. 
to being brought back to life. There is something in us that draws us to that. It just does. You thought it was just the cool colors. No, there's something in you that pulls you towards that. But on that first Easter, the women get up early. And I don't know how early you got up this morning. I I had the privilege of driving across the valley this morning as the sun was just popping up over the superstitions out that way and seeing it reflect off the buildings downtown as I come across where I-10 and 51 come together. And it's just magnificent morning. It was just gorgeous. But that early morning, they got up and they started going to the tomb with their spices and all that But as I read this this week, I thought, you know, these people, they got up and they went. No doubt they had been playing over and over their mind what had happened the last three days. No question about that. But they went to the tomb without a full plan. How are they going to move that rock? How are they going to move that rock? What I love about people who don't have a full plan, if you go with the right heart and just keep moving, you may not have to have everything else figured out. Or you could just stay cowered in the city up in a room somewhere like the men did. Hey, hey, no clapping. Just so you know, 11 of those 12 guys die a martyr's death. They finally get it right. It may have taken them a little bit of time, but they finally get it right. Sometimes it just takes people who don't have a plan to just start moving. And I have a feeling sometimes that may have been, you may be a lot like these ladies. They went there to the tomb just saying, yeah, Jesus, we love you and all that, but even you can't overcome this. But we love you so much. Our heart is right. We want to bring the spices. We want to, to do the burial. We want to do the right thing, even though, and we're going to continue to follow you. We're going to continue. But this one, Jesus, even you can't overcome this one. I'm talking to some of you here this morning. Tragedy has hit you, whether self-inflicted or not. And if you're not careful, you may be a believer to hear today, or maybe you're not, but maybe if you are, you're going, yeah, Jesus, yeah, this one? Yeah, you can't overcome this one. And you quit walking. But man, if you show up with the right heart, the right intention... But the word says they're there. And they're there for, I mean, while you and I both, all of us in here, we would end up there because looking for a dead man. We know we would. We just would. But here come these words ringing through the ages. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look For the living among the dead. He is not here. He has risen. How could they? They walked with Jesus. How could we? 
How could we think for a moment that Jesus is the hostage of death? Ain't no grave. John 1, 4, 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 10, 10, the thief, the thief, the one of darkness, the one of death, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly to the full. John 11, 25, 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And it's tricky, I realize. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Here's the question for all of us. Do you believe this? The same word that John uses here for life is the same word that Luke uses. Why do you seek the living life? And it is, I wish I could capitalize that for, for you. It is the word zoe. It is more than just existence. It, it is life with vigor and purpose and set you and, and devoted to God. It's, such, it's the same word. Why do you seek zoe among the lifeless? This makes me news to some of you today. All of your life from the day you were born to the day you die is supposed to be for him and, and it is through him. And not only can you not find true life elsewhere, you can't even borrow a drop of life from any other source. You can't even, there's no other place to get life. You were made for a purpose. Why, again, will you love the thought of redemption? Is someone being restored to what they were designed for? We love that. A life that shines in the darkness. And darkness has not overcome it. Now, in fairness to the women... Up to this point, all they had seen is the cross, the crucifixion, right? And no doubt, the cross is the symbol that unifies Christians around the world. As I was praying this morning, I hope you're praying for our churches in Sri Lanka and the devastation that has happened there today on Easter Sunday and the terrorism that's happened. But that cross unifies us. It unified us at 9-11. When we find that cross, they're in the midst of that rubble. I remember standing in summer 2002 with about 25 teenagers from Chandler in that area there, Crossroads. And we were standing there after midnight and these students, and we're, they're weeping. And, they're, and again, 2002, it looked almost like it did at the end of 2001. And I remember standing there and these children, these students are weeping and they begin to sing the song we sang this morning, Amazing Grace. And these people started joining in with them. And there was just something about it. This week, for some of you, as you saw Notre Dame and you saw 
the, the, the burning there and see the cross lit up. And what I love about that cross, in many Catholic churches, it's not always this case. Christ is not on it. He's not on it. He's no longer there, folks. But the cross shines in the darkness and tragedy. No doubt Christ's cross is the symbol and the proof of God's love for humanity. And we should boast in it. But here comes the question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? It exposes, just like these women, it exposes something that I think happens to all of us. We can't see past the tragedy. We can't see past the death, whatever. You, you put whatever that is in your life. That's death of a relationship, death of a business, death of a... It literally may be a death. Sometimes we forget. And this pastor of yours has to be reminded to. But there is something magnificent beyond the cross. But we have to be careful that our faith is not stuck on tragedy without triumph. See, if the cross were the end of the story, you would have never heard of Jesus or Christianity. There would be no more, there would be no churches. And Jesus' followers would have disappeared like all the followers up to that point of these would-be messiahs. If that were the end. See, when the early Christians, including the disciples, were called upon to defend their faith as Jesus, they rarely point to great, his great moral teachings or even his miracles. They point to the rock-solid proof, the cross, his death, and resurrection. The resurrection is the centerpiece of the gospel and our faith. Instead of a cross as our central metaphor that we carry around our necks, we should just be wearing a, like, a, like a stone rolled away. <laughs> I don't know what that would look like. <laughs> I don't know what an empty tomb with a stone rolled away looked like. But the atonement's not complete without the resurrection. We come today to celebrate. We do it weekly around the world. See, followers of other religions make pilgrimages to burial places or to cities. But see, we're not memorializing a dead hero, but but celebrating a risen Savior. Again, here comes this question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Again, it may seem like it was just for the women, but it's up, it is always for all of us. Why do you seek Zoe among the lifeless? How do you answer that question? Changes the trajectory of your life. If you choose not to choose Jesus as the source of life, if you choose, you will have a different life. Because when you choose that Jesus is the source of life, it changes your marriage. It changes how you show up at work. It changes how you raise your children. It changes even what you watch on TV. And it's not about do's and don'ts. Don't forget, don't hear what I'm not saying. 
it changes everything. And you can seek life in a lot of good places. You can seek life in relationships. But let me tell you, friend, you can become codependent and even going to church. Even other people who are believers, but you have a secondhand faith. You can look for it in a career. But that career can become your identity. God wants you to have a career. He thinks it's good for us to work. You can go into nature. I love Psalm 19, 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God. But we cannot seek life from creation, but only from the creator. Some of you may seek it in recreation. You have a favorite thing you just really, really like doing. And it seems to give you life. I love hiking. You know, the word recreation means to recreate. In other words, you're like you've been made over again. You, you, you know, it's recreation if you feel like you've come away from it going, I feel like I've been made over again. Recreate. Jan and I go hiking together. I feel like I've been recreated. Jan feels like it's death. <laughs> so that's not her recreation. <laughs> she goes along with me because she loves me, but that's, she doesn't feel like life. You can serve the poor, and Jesus says that's where you can find me, but you can serve in place of. You can go to events and vacations and one right after the other. But nowadays, especially today, you're too busy capturing it and posting it. You, you already missed the whole thing. And even at that, an event or a, a place like that only lasts for a moment. I think one of the reasons we try to capture it and post it so we can go back and relive it when life really figures out that it's not all we thought it was. So we want to capture it. And oh yeah, we can look for life and religion. Yeah, you can see how Jesus dealt with those guys if you want to read the word. There are a lot of places to look for life, but there is only one that delivers. His name is Jesus. See, these disciples when they, and these women were locked in the past in tragedy. Instead of looking what God was already up to. I mean, we look around and say, what's God up to in our culture? Look around at all the... It's never been this bad. It's never been this bad. It's never been this bad. But here comes God's question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for life among your addictions? Why do you look for life among your politics? Why do you look for life amongst your tribe or identity group? Why do you look for life in your news outlet? Yeah, I know I'm meddling. Why do you look for life there? I believe God is still stuck to something in our culture. I see, yes, the, the church attendance and how people believe in God is getting smaller and smaller. But that does not mean that God's still not up to something. He is up to something.
Many of you know I've shared this story with you before. As I was looking this week and thinking about how tragedy can become triumph and how ultimately you have to put your faith only in Christ, I began to think of my dad. Some of you heard this story before. I won't go into deep detail about it. My dad was living in a little town called Granis, Arkansas back in 1942, 20 years old, just a farm boy. I don't know if we have that picture up there. Just, just a farm boy. He went off to World War II. He ends up as a, a medic, battlefield medic. He ends up at Casino Italy, at the Abbey of Monte Cassino. My dad had zipped up body bags after body bags after body bags. My dad would do surgery. He'd do amputations. He'd do all those things in the dark just by feel. Now get that. Just think through that a little bit. Day after day, 36 days without changing clothes, going in the hardest winter in January of 1944. They end up at Casino Italy. And if you want to look it up, the Abbey of Monte Casino, I think it was, was built in the 500s. It was a Catholic monastery. The Germans had taken it over down in the valley where Casino Italy was. It ends up being the most bombarded site in World War II. Took five months to get through there. 74,000 men die. It is called Purple Heart Valley. Just look it up. My dad was there. Just the night before, he ends up getting injured. He's praying in his foxhole, and he's just telling the Lord how much he, and he was a believer from day one. And he said, the Lord just, he said, all of a sudden, he took his hand, and he just grabbed his right leg. He had no idea why he was grabbing his right leg. But the next night, when it was time for him to go out, they usually took rotation going to the front lines. The Germans are there shooting, uh, and he was the first one to get out there. He got out on the front, right out close to where the river was, and he knelt down. He was kneeling down, working on a, on, on a soldier, and somebody stepped on the landmine and blew him up. Almost blew his right side off. His right leg, the leg that he had grabbed. My dad laid in the battlefield for four days. But he didn't just lay there. He fought. He took his little issued shovel and pushed his way all the way back to the lines and then I can go into another time about the story of the two men who came out and grabbed him and took him off the battlefield. His best friend died next to him three days into it. That he found him as he was working his way back. My dad was in the hospital for a year and a half. I think it was well over a year. He ends up back in Grandis, Arkansas. They drop him off a bus. No heroes welcome. He walks on crutches three miles home. What we didn't know was, what I, obviously I wasn't born until later, 13 years later, 14 years later, I'm the fifth child of six. And I was a baby brother for 12 years. That explains a lot of things about me. <laughs> Why I like to aggravate people. That's a, I am notorious for that. And uh, my dad had, I think, three nervous breakdowns during that 15 years. From, he didn't talk about the war until in the 60s. We didn't know, we now know, called PTSD. We didn't know what that was called. Nobody used that. My dad just went through it. He's figured it out on his own. And, he, you know, my mom and him would move all over the country, and he was sick, and people would try to take advantage of their farm when he was sick. It was just, just someone's kind of sickening to think about. 
But in the early 60s, my dad owned a car lot, and I wish I had a picture of it, but I don't here today. But we owned a car lot. My dad had started a little car lot under a, under a tent and then built it into a pretty big business before it was all over with by the late 70s. But he started there, but he had on this property that had a 40 acres that had a pasture down there, and it, and it went down ponds, and then in his flat land, and there was this mountain, a beautiful property. But dad said every time he looked down there, he saw young men's dead bodies could not get it out of his mind. Every time he looked there, he saw that. So he made a decision. He said, I want to, be a, I want to have a place where people, where there's young men with life. So he built a baseball field on it. My dad ended up sponsoring players. We ride in, we'd ride in trucks. My mom would drive one. I, my dad would drive the other. We'd travel all over. I was the bat boy. I was the little guy. And we would travel all over picking young men up. My dad invested, and they invested, and they invested. Had this baseball field, like I said, 20 or 25 miles except for one little field. Uh, it was the only one around in that little town of 400-something people. Then the nineteen eight end of 1970, my dad built this big business. He, he, he spent his life into our family. He, we went to church all the time. He loved the Lord. He put, but somewhere in the late 70s, the economy crashed. He no longer coached the teams. Me and my two brothers had to move away because the economy wasn't good enough. And all of a sudden, the things my dad had really invested in, he had put his life into, were gone. And all of a sudden, came back this PTSD with flying colors. In 1984, my dad was in a room. My dad was dying, literally dying of depression of PTSD. Everything he had hidden it with, I believe, had been, had been removed. In many ways. But my dad is laying in bed in that little house. I would say little house. That house there in Wicks. Up on the hill. And he said the Lord spoke to him. Now you can take that for what it's worth. But he said the Lord spoke to him. And he said eight. And he was taking antidepressants and different things. He said A.G. There's my dad's name. A.G. He said A.G. You can get up. You can lay here and die. And you will be with me. Or you can get up out of this bed and begin to walk with me and depend on me and I will give you life and I will be with you. My dad got up. Got ri- I'm not telling anybody in here, don't hear what I'm not saying, to get rid of the end of the presence of your own. My dad set him down and God gave him 25 more years. 24, 25. And my dad wasn't flawless by no means. But God, over that time, he began to get in the word every day. He began to pray for every one of us, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, by name, every day. And there was almost 60 of us. By name, specifically, to the throne. He got sweeter. Oh, he was still a man's man. He, you didn't want him to snatch you. <laughs> I know what that's like. And I got a nephew and some different ones in here know what that means. He passed away of cancer and he weakened and he weakened and he weakened till almost a year he couldn't talk. But I tell people today, my dad, one of the things my dad did, I don't know if you got the other picture up there, one of the things my dad did, this is right before he passed, oh, a few years before he passed away. My dad taught me how to live, but one of the greatest things he ever taught me was how to die. You know, and they ended up naming the new city field before he'd passed away. A.G. Gentry Field. The reason I share this with you today 
tragedy, triumph. But even at that, until you say, Jesus, it's just me and you, you can hide it in a lot of different ways, like my dad did. And you can keep it pushed down. But it's not till you hear Jesus say, me and you, let's start walking. You may not know what all it means, friend, but you need to just start walking. My dad's story is is one of millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of stories that have been told throughout the ages of what God can do when you put your life only and seek only life from him. All those other things I named today can still be there, but you've got to seek life only from him. All the rest of it is dead. It will pass away. Thank goodness. For me personally, in 1986, 27 years old, had run from God for a decade and gave my life to the Lord. And as I was reading this week the recounts of all these passages of Scripture around the... It was Matthew 28. I don't even know if we have that up there. Matthew 28, 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. I remember walking down that aisle in 1986, walking to the front of that little Baptist church. I remember what it was like, terrified. Because the only Kurt Gentry I knew up to that point was a messed up, you know what? But all I knew was to walk. But I was filled with joy, terrified but filled with joy at the same time. Today, you can walk away from here unrocked. I get it. Not moved by anything we've done here today. And thank goodness, if it's us moving you, my dad had this saying, anything I can talk you into, somebody else can talk you out of. That's how he did car business. He just sold people. He didn't try to talk anybody into anything. He just didn't. And you may be here today like those women. See, if I'd been there with those women going, hey, you can't go yet. You don't even know what you're going to do about that rock. Because my number one street finder is strategic, and you don't have your strategy together. <laughs> right? Thank goodness I wasn't there. We wouldn't even have the scripture. (laughs) They just went with the right heart, knowing what God was doing in their lives. They just got up and they went. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He is. He's relentless. I got to quit saying that. But let me say this to you. It is not by your efforts. It is not by your works. It's not dependent on anyone else being the go-between. No matter what you have done, the cross justifies you when you accept Christ. All those things you've been trying to fix, it could be unforgiveness, it could be anger, it could be emptiness, and on and on. We can make a huge list. You don't possess the power to resurrect it.
You don't do it. The question comes ringing through the ages. Why are you seeking life from the lifeless? Why are you seeking life in places that cannot, will not give you life? The gospel, the good news, is Jesus. And Romans 8, 11 tells us, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Would you stand with us? Josiah, would you come? God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. If you're here this morning, your life may not be a tragedy. I get that. I can honestly say when I gave my life to the Lord, there was nothing tragic going on. Actually, some good things were. But that didn't change the Holy Spirit working on me and pulling me. And I realized where the source of life was. And you can hide it in a lot of ways. I'm going to sing one stanza, if you will, of Amazing Grace. And I'm just asking, this is, a lot of times we do more of an invitation where you have to, not have to, but you have the opportunity to come forward. Uh, We're not going to do that to you today. For some of you, that may be a little too much. But I'm going to ask if every head would be bowed. And I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to ask Josiah and them to sing just one course. And if you just want to raise your hand and say, I want to accept, I want to receive this Christ into my life. I don't even know what all it means, but I am going to follow my heart today. As we're singing, I'm going to ask again, I'm going to pray for us. If you'd bow your heads, Lord, just thank you for these moments today. And I hope and pray that for all of us, it's just not just another Easter checked off the box. But it's one that there is life. Whether we've been following after you all these years. still not been there done that this is new every time but today lord i pray for those who have come today with a lot of questions and i get that but their heart is tugging and pulling and saying today today is the day and lord i ask right now that you would help us with that as we sing We pray this in your name, Jesus. And I'm going to ask if you continue to keep your heads bowed as they lead us. If you would just want to raise your hand, and I'm just going to pray a prayer over you.
after we sing this stanza, then we will close the service. Amazing grace. Thank you. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Thank you. across this room hands are being raised Lord we come to you right now with a heart of thankfulness Lord I pray right now for those specifically who have raised their hands that this April 21 2019 will be a marker will be a they'll they'll drive a stake down saying this day doesn't mean it's going to be perfect moving forward But on this day, they stepped across that, if you will, line, Lord. And just said, Lord, I'm going to walk this out with you. That I do believe there is triumph. Whether in this life or another, there is life. And there is life that only you can give. And today, this day, I will quit looking for it the best I understand it in other places. This day, it is you, Jesus. We pray this in your name, Jesus.